Well, you have a lot of holidays coming up. You know, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Uh, so our opportunity to just acknowledge and be thankful and grateful for those that, uh, for by hook or crook or a judge or a father or, uh, said, you're going. Um, or the draft, who knows. Um, but there are a great many uh, in our area and a great many in our congregation. I believe today is even the birthday of the Marine Corps. So to uh, Max and to Jeremy and anyone else that I'm not aware of who uh, might have served in the Marine Corps, happy birthday, Leathernecks. Happy birthday. And Thanksgiving is coming. An opportunity where, where we just want to say, hey, I, I am thankful. I want to be thankful. I want to be grateful. And uh, just remember what it's really about. It's not about the Indians. It was about giving thanks to God. And that's clear in the historical record. And we have Christmas, Advent, beautiful time uh, of the year. And I'd, I'd like to just say right now, yes, we are having our, our uh, Christmas Eve service here. So as you're doing your long-range planning and who you would invite to come and, and be with you and be with us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the birth of the Savior, we will be doing that for sure. Today, I want to talk about uh, parables parables of Jesus. There's even some parables in the Old Testament. There are not that many, but there are some. And, uh, you know, the purpose of the parables, Jesus kind of spoke in code, you know, and you go, why did he do that? I don't know. Not really. He, he told us why he did it. He was to conceal. Um, he said, otherwise they would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And uh, he wanted to confound the proud and the rich. It was a, like his code language. It was also to avoid trouble. I remember one time uh, they were trying to trap him right at the end of his life and said, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He was clever. Wow. He said, uh, show me a coin. Whose picture is on it? Caesar. All right, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. What a brilliant way to defuse that situation. Those guys didn't know what to think. Usually in a parable, there's one main point. And you don't want to look for 20 main points, but today I'm going to break the rule a little bit, and I want to look for a, another point in some parables. So I have some for you. And we're going to just touch on them briefly, because I want to talk about how you can identify this strain of what Pastor Paul's been talking about, identity. Your identity, you can find some pretty interesting points in these parables that we're going to talk about. First up is the parable of the lost coin. I think you can just barely make out that, that text there. And I'll let you read through it. And I said, let me put this up on slides so there's some pictures so you can look at that instead of listening to me. Um, but a picture speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? In the parable of the lost coin, I'll let you read that. A poor woman has lost something that she values, a coin, some money. She's poor. And a, drach a drachma, which is what this coin is thought to be, was likely about a day's wage for a common worker. Okay? A lot to her. Probably no one else to rely on. Notice in verse 9 that she goes to her friends as opposed to some family. No husband, no one else maybe in her life. 
Likely none. She searches. She, she uses a lamp. She's lost something of value to her. She, she rejoices when she finds it. And Scripture describes uh, the reaction in heaven over one sinner who repents and accepts Christ. Over just one sinner. And he's comparing this to a poor woman who finds a coin. This is the nature of God. And it speaks of his identity. He pursues us earthly sinners when we're lost and we're the object of his desire, the apple of his eye, if you will, if you will. This shows God's heart. But what might this parable tell us about our identity? Most parables, they, they start out, the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's not really talking about our identity. Honestly, the parables are, he's trying to teach us what the kingdom of heaven is like. But what can this tell us about our identity? This takes looking at this parable from another direction. Let's say the other side of the coin. Did you get how clever that was? <laughs> the other side of the coin. Our identity, in this case, is wrapped up in the coin itself. The main point of the parable is the nature of God and of his angels. This rejoicing when one sinner repents and comes to faith in Jesus. But that's not the only truth to be gleaned here. We are of immense value to God himself. God himself pursues us. He doesn't look on with indifference at lost people. Sometimes we do. God doesn't. He doesn't look on with indifference. This is a lost coin, something of value. He's teaching us what the kingdom of heaven is like, what God is like. We're of immense value. God himself pursues us. What if this woman were rich and had lots of coins, lots of money, and she lost one? She wouldn't care much. Has plenty of other coins. The world and heaven is loaded with souls. God is not poor like this poor woman where one coin can make a big difference. He's not poor in souls that have come to faith. Not at all. There's billions probably that have come to faith. And imagine by the end times how many billions of souls will be in heaven. God is rich in souls. It's loaded. Why does he care about you? Why does he care about one lost person? What's that tell you about your identity? Think on that for a minute. Why does he care about you? Why is there rejoicing? Because we're valuable, just like this coin. Your identity is wrapped up in this coin. You are valuable to God. I want to look at another lost and found of the New Testament. The parable of the lost sheep, one of my favorites. Now this... This one has uh, inspired lots and lots of music, poetry, art over the centuries. The imagery of a shepherd is very common in the Bible. It's very powerful. Think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Think in the New Testament where that gets fulfilled, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and the sheep know the sound of my voice. Powerful and common metaphor in the Bible. 
It speaks of God's heart for those who wander away. There's an Old Testament verse that describes us all well from Isaiah uh, 53, 6. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There's some identity for you. I think we can all identify with that. We've all wandered off at times, and he has found us. You likely wouldn't be here today if he hadn't found you again and brought you back to the fold. This parable is a little bit like the lost coin, but there is a difference. The coin represents someone who is coming to faith for the first time. The parable of the lost sheep talks about those who were in his flock, like us, believers, and they've wandered away. And he leaves the 99. He leaves all the rest to go search for it. What does that tell you about your identity? Because you've been there. You're just like me. Tells us that God rejoiced over the one who returned more than the 99 who didn't stray. What do you think about that? Shouldn't those 99 be valued more? Why does he rejoice over the one that wandered off and, and he went and found him and brought him back? He rejoices over that more than the ones that kind of have it together and keep it together and they're faithful and dutiful and they don't wander off. Shouldn't they be valued more? Is this fair? What does that tell you about God's heart? About his identity? How much he cares for one who wanders off. Does this remind you of another parable? The prodigal son? What was the reaction of the older brother? He didn't wander off. And yet the father rejoiced. There's a parallelism in this New Testament. But what does this parable tell you about your own identity? Again, you're of great value, similar to the coin. Something has gotten lost. One sheep, one out of a hundred, one percent. In any business, you've got to expect amount of loss. One sheep, so what? Still got 99. You move on. He's got plenty. But even in its lost state, this sheep remains valuable to its owner. And he's determined to recover it. The emphasis here is on the worth of the individual. Of you. What does that tell you about your identity? Even though you've got this wandering off nature to you, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. He will go and find you, and he'll rejoice more over that, more over finding you, than the 99 who didn't stray. Let's go back to that thought about the 99 who didn't stray, that he was more rejoicing in the one that went away that he went and found than the, the other ones. The good people, if you will, the 99, the most true and devoted to the faith. There's another parable that comes to mind. This one, you might not relate it to this. This is the Pharisee and the tax collector. Tax collector, also called a publican. A publican was a Jewish person 
But they worked for the Romans, and they went out and collected taxes. And they tended to be abusive, and they tended to cheat and take more than was required, and they lined their own pockets. They were scoundrels. They were looked down on uh, by the other Jews. The Pharisees were the, the upright and upstanding people of the, the New Testament life of, of Israel. Now, the Pharisee today, that has a bad connotation, but I want you to think about this in the day. These were the most upstanding. They were part of the 99 that didn't stray. And if Jesus was ever ticked off at anybody, it was usually these people. Jesus is often critical of them. On the other hand, tax collectors were unsavory types. But Jesus befriended them. That might tell you something about your identity. Think of Matthew. He was a, he was a tax collector. And yet Jesus befriended him. So there's hope. For those who have been uh, written off, if you will, by respectable society. So what's the story? Let me read this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and you see them there. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee in this story, he attributes his goodness to the grace of God. He thanks him for it. So far, so good. But he looks down on the rest of the world, those around him. Dismisses this publican who's also there praying in the temple and says, thank God I'm not like that guy. But his love for God doesn't move him to compassion, it, to compassion for anyone who's lost or those who struggle to live uh, some sort of upright and consistent life devoted to the things of God. His righteousness likely would even push people away. Is he like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son? Is he like one of the 99 sheep in the parable we just looked at? Maybe this is why God rejoices so much over the one that he goes and finds and brings back. What character do you relate to in this story? Likely you don't honor the Pharisee. That's good. What about this despised tax collector? The tax collector signals his unworthiness right there before God. His words echo the opening of Psalm 51. That's the one where David is, is uh, beside himself with grief over his uh, uh, affair with Bathsheba.
The sin and repentance of David is really noteworthy and reminds me of this publican in this picture. He doesn't shy away from the fact that as a tax collector, he has oppressed his own people. But there's a depth of feeling in his words that is missing from the Pharisee's prayer. If you identify, if you identify with this depth of feeling when you pray, and you have humility and honest appraisal of your own shortcomings, then this tells you something about your identity. You might identify, at least in some way, with this publican. I want to move on and talk about another famous parable, the parable of the sower or the seeds or the soils. This is Jesus talking again in Mark Chapter 4. Have you ever grown a garden? Then you know that it takes more than just love to make those seeds grow. Your life, one that bears much fruit, takes more than just the grace of God. A plant needs good soil, regular care, the right food, water. You see where I'm going? Pretty straightforward. Without soil that is good and regular care, the seed, which is the word of God, it can't take root and flourish and bear fruit. So what's the important point of this parable and about your identity? You're not just the plant, which is what the parable is talking about. You're also the gardener. Look after yourself. Look after yourself, your soul, and your mind. Give it the right food. Your destiny is wrapped up in this soil. Read scripture. That's water and food. Don't let anything damage the plant, like false friends, bad morals, destructive behaviors. Protect that plant. The place where the seed falls is all important. So take good care of yourself. What's this tell you about your identity, that you're not just soil, but you're also the gardener? It's not grace alone. God just doesn't do it all by himself. Take good care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Protect your mind and your soul. Feed it, water it, and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Last, I want to look at maybe... uh, the most famous parable of all in some people's opinion, and that's the, the story of this good Samaritan. Oh, you can't read that. I'll read it for you. Hmm, it starts out in verse 30. It comes from the book of Luke. And to put some context to it, so the people were asking him, you know, what's the greatest commandment of all? Remember this? Yeah, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And they say, oh yeah, who's, who's our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? So Jesus, this is where the story picks up. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is actually a photograph, an old photograph of this road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I don't need to belabor the point about what a Samaritan was, but just briefly, Samaritans were second-class citizens. Uh, they were looked down upon by the Jews. They basically wouldn't have anything to do with them. So a priest and a Levite, they're Jewish, and people, uh, you know, who, yeah, they're like pastors and elders and so on, the ones that uh, were the most upright in the church. And this is how they acted when they came upon someone who had been attacked and robbed. They stuck to the rules. And what I mean by stick to the rules was that they, they wouldn't do something that would make them ritually unclean. And what was that? Well, you don't touch bloody things. You don't get involved in their blood. And you don't handle things that are dead. Um, you don't want to touch that because that makes you ritually unclean. So we'll just ignore this situation here and we'll keep going. Because that's more important to them, keeping the rules, than helping somebody in need. That's what was wrong with their thinking. That's why Jesus was so critical of these types of people. That they were more concerned about just following the rules than doing what is right in the eyes of God. Wow. So the normal practice was to not touch blood, not touch dead things. The story is often presented as if it's only teaching was about to be kind to someone who's down and out, just to be, to be nice to them. Well, first off, one thing we don't know is, what about the person who was robbed and left half dead? Maybe that was a Samaritan. We don't know. Maybe it was a Jew. We're not sure. Maybe it was someone else altogether. Might have been a Roman. I don't know. And uh, the story doesn't tell us that. But this isn't just a teaching about being kind to someone, anyone, who is down and out. We are responsible for our fellow travelers through this life. We have to be like that Samaritan. We have to take risks. We have to put ourselves out there. We have to care about them and not be indifferent to their plight or sticking to some sort of rule or code uh, that you might subscribe to. Who do you relate to in this story? One of those three, usually the question is about those three main characters, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. But there are other characters in the story. Maybe you relate to one of those three, but what about these other ones? Are you the wounded one? Is that your identity? Do you have some identity in that? What about that wounded one? Or are you the innkeeper who cares for the one that's wounded and takes care of this person until the other one returns. 
This idea of relating to a character in this parable is another way to look at your identity and see what you can glean about your identity just by putting yourself in the story. Put yourself in that story and what would you do? I think we'd want to say, well, I'll be the good Samaritan. <laughs> That's a good thing. I sure don't want to be like those first two guys. But maybe you're the wounded one. Maybe that's a lot of your identity. Maybe you're the innkeeper. Parables teach us much, not only about the kingdom of God, but also about our own identity, who we are in the eyes of God. That's what Paul's been preaching about, who we are in the eyes of God. We are valuable. We must humble ourselves, carry our cross daily, be honest about our shortcomings, pray earnestly, sincerely to God. We need to care for ourselves. We are gardeners of what has been planted, the word of God, the gospel. We're not just the soil. We're also the gardener. Take care of yourself. Bear fruit that'll last. Take risks in your concern for others and woundedness. Remember that there is more rejoicing in heaven when God goes away from the 99 and brings back one who was lost. Maybe you have someone in mind, a family member perhaps who has strayed from God, indifferent, doesn't care anymore. Remember, remember how God feels about that person that they are valuable, and that you are valuable. Remember, when one, of, one person accepts Jesus Christ, there is great rejoicing in heaven, even though God is absolutely rich beyond our ability to imagine how many souls there are going to be in heaven. He rejoices over one more, one more. Be like the innkeeper. Hey, he's an unsung person in the story of the Good Samaritan. Be like that. One who will care for the wounded. This reminds me really of what I see the church writ large to be. Innkeepers. Where God is the Good Samaritan. He's gone and he's found the lost coin or retrieved the lost sheep welcomed home the prodigal son. And what's he going to do with him? Take him to the inn and have him cared for there by the innkeepers. Remember that Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 16, he said, for you did not choose me, but I chose you to be my disciple and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. That tells you something about identity. Jesus has chosen you and me. Jesus valued these commoners, these hard workers, these disciples of his, and he told them, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Remember what he was saying just before this, maybe? I'm the vine, you are the branches. A little before that, he was talking to them about his hard teachings, 
and uh, that they might want to wander away. And he said, you're free to go. If you don't want to follow me, you don't have to. And they replied, where else would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. That's how I am. Where else would I go? I know Jesus has the words of eternal life. And sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. I want to lift this up just a little bit. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. But where are they to go? For he has the words of eternal life. So Jesus chose you too. What does this tell you about your identity? He loves you. He's crazy about you. That's all I have. A few parables to just touch on, just to scratch the surface, and to look at them maybe from the backside and see what it tells you, not about the nature of God and his kingdom, but about your own identity, what you relate to in these parables, what you're like. Take care of yourself. You're a gardener. Protect your mind and your soul. Above all else, guard your soul, for from it spring the issues of life. Father God, thank you for this day and the opportunity to share uh, with uh, my brothers and sisters here what you have brought to me and impressed upon me about identity. That I didn't choose you, but you chose me and appointed me to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Lord, bless us, oh, not just the rest of this day, but until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.